It seems tragic for all that energy to leave the room, doesn't it? But how wonderful it is to have amazing people, adults, that are willing to invest in our young people, in people who are full of energy. How wonderful. Um, I'm Sharon, and um, if you're here today for the very first time or haven't been for a while, I'm just so glad that, that you are here today. I feel we are, as a, a little community here, very honoured that you should be led or choose to come here today. And I believe God will bless your life today. And, you know, some people here today may have been dragged here. <laughs> you might feel that uh, a mum or dad or husband or wife or aunt, grandma has dragged you here today. You have a little disgruntled heart or maybe your, your mind is far away as your heart is. But too, we are really grateful that you are here. And I pray that God speaks a peace into your life today. When you came in, um, Kiana, she's ducked out to group, but um, hopefully you got a piece of paper um, still. Uh, if you don't and you'd like one, Neil will just give it to you because later... I'd like to use that. So just raise your hand. Don't be shy if you don't have a piece of paper. You know, last year, Sarah, uh, who was one of our praise and worship leaders here today, challenged us in a message um, to, to see in our lives each day if we could see where God is at work. And in our family, we've started to adopt it. We're not faithful at every day. But this week, I just want to relay a story to you. Um, it's really got nothing to do with the message today. It's just a testimony, um, a story that my boys and I found just wow. So on Thursday, I took, my bo I took um, Ethan to a swimming lesson at Morayfield Aquatic Centre, which is just up the highway a little bit, and it was raining. So we grabbed an umbrella out of the back of the car, went in, and uh, it was his first lesson, so we had to pause at the reception desk for a little while and um, just, just have a little discussion about his lesson, and then off we went to the lesson. And um, as we do, while he was in lesson, I said, oh, I'm, I'll be doing some work. So I pulled out my laptop, and I started doing some work. But within about five minutes, typical, the battery died. I was like, oh. So I closed the laptop and I popped it to my right on the terraced concrete seating where I was sitting. And on this side, I had um, my handsome Woolies bag with other things in it and my handbag. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll text some people about some stuff for church. So I did that. And, you know, the lesson finished about 40 minutes later. Ethan came up the stairs and we... We, um, he said, Mom, Mom, my, your, the teacher wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay, okay. So I bundled my things and, and chatted to the teacher. And then as we left the swimming pool to head back to the um, entrance, um, oh, actually, he went in the shower, then we went to, and I was like, oh, that's right, the umbrella. Where's the umbrella? Because it was still raining. Oh, I must have left it at reception. I don't remember having it at the pool. So we head to reception, we hover about, it's a little bit busy, and his actual lesson teacher was the one who served us, and he said, oh, I'll have a look. He looked out the back, he said, no, there's nothing here, there's a, a uh, lost property bin just over there, have a look. So we have a look, it's not there. And I'm like, oh, 
oh, well, um, maybe I did have it back at the pool. So we wandered back to the pool, and a bit far off, and she goes, there's a black thing there. And then as I got closer, I was like, that's my laptop. <laughs> I'd left the laptop sitting beside me on the right side, and I'd never looked back to check. And... Um, we just realized that, and we went back to reception, hovered around a bit more thinking, well, please don't get this wrong, but the ladies at reception might know more than what that guy did, so maybe I should <laughs> just pause and ask the ladies who'd been at reception the whole time, um, but the umbrella was not to be found. And we were just like, wow, there was God at work. The umbrella had either fallen down, rolled under somewhere, someone had needed it more than I did or whatever, but if that umbrella had been handed in that there, we would have never gone back to, to look for the laptop. And um, I would have got home and at about 8 o'clock when I usually pull it out again, I would have realised I'd misplaced it. And just a testimony to the missing umbrella and seeing God at work. And I thank God for the person who might have needed that umbrella because God worked through that to help me to retrace the laptop you know God is at work all the time and we we thanked God that night in our prayers of of that we felt bizarre and interesting way that God was at work so keep your eyes open I was in year nine and our class was in a very small demountable at the back of our school um it was quite a small demountable, so there were absolutely no, no seats left on this particular day. The period was, for what subject I don't remember, but it was a test. And we had Mrs. Price. Now, Mrs. Price was a dear senior lady, very kind and gentle, but class management wasn't her strength, especially as a relief teacher. And I know any of you who have relief taught know the challenges of that at times. So as the period rolled on, people started to finish their tests and hand them in, and so there was idle time, and idle time begets idle behaviour, and that's what happened. From my right, in the next row of chairs, one boy pulled out his pen, and if I use the word spitball, do we all know what they are? That still exists, guys. I, uh, I questioned a few people in the office the other day, they said, yeah, yeah, we know what spitballs are. <laughs> a spitball went up towards the clock, which was up on the front wall while Mrs. Price wasn't looking. And it stuck quite revoltingly but handsomely on the wall. Well, of course, that started an entourage of spitballs towards the clock, while Mrs. Price was not looking. And it wasn't long after that when the chatter and the rumble started to swell. And there, over from the other side of the room, a paper plane then sh flew past and step by step things were getting a little out of control I don't remember what I wrote and I actually don't remember who I wrote it to but there were a number of people writing notes and sending them across the room as well not as paper planes but just slipping them along I thought you know yeah I'll join the Join the, join the crew. Well, by the time the bell rang, that classroom was nothing short of mayhem, I remember. We all bumbled out. There was raucous laughter. 
and poor Mrs. Price was left to mop up the pieces. Well, the very next day, I was sitting in another class, in another subject, minding my business, working hard, when the principal came to the door and called out a number of students. I was one of them. And we followed quite obliviously to the office. And there, the wrath of the principal was unleashed on us. I really can't actually remember what the outcome was for all the other students. But for me, I was on some kind of lunchtime suspension where I had to stand outside the principal's office every lunchtime for the week. Now, that might not sound like much, and I don't want to brag here, but I was actually a good kid at school. I behaved, and I worked hard, and I got good grades. So for me, this was extremely humiliating. The principal called my parents. I was completely ashamed. My peers never thought Sharon would do such a thing. I had failed my parents, I'd failed my teachers, I failed myself, and I'd failed God. And at that time, I truly felt like a failure. You know, failure, we fail our own expectations, we fail after working hard for something, we fail sometimes in front of our peers and our colleagues, we fail even by not even trying. A test, a race, an application, a performance, a job, a goal, a relationship. And we're left with the aftermath, a concoction of humiliation, of shame, of discouragement, perhaps abandonment, defeat, or carelessness, maybe even revenge or anger. I remember a few years ago, Jared coming home from school with a new line I hadn't heard before, and it was, what an epic fail. Was that something that Kane was here too? What a fail. The word fail became a, a term. Was that, was that heard around the traps here? Fail. Epic fail. Just pause for a minute. What event, what situation, what circumstance or time comes to your mind that echoes those words? What a fail. What emotions do you connect with that failure? Do you ever say to yourself, I'm a failure? Here at Refresh, we're just finishing off a series, When the Going Gets Tough. And when we fail, the going can get tough. We feel like a failure, 
and we identify ourselves as such. We subconsciously or consciously tell ourselves, or if we're really unlucky, someone will tell it to us for us, you're a failure. Today I want to explore with you a story from the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home, come visit us at the Connect Desk afterwards. We'd love you to have a Bible. And I'm a little old school. I think technology Bibles are awesome, but there's nothing better than having a paper Bible that you can write in, you can respond in, you can colour in, you can make it your own. So if you don't have one, we'd like to give you one. So come and see us over over at, um, at our Connect Desk, which is just over there. The story I want to share with you is found in the writings of John. Now, John was one of 12 of Jesus' special followers, and uh, uh, Christians would call in the Bible, they are called the disciples. And John writes an account called the book of John, and we're going to hone in on a story that's a fishing story with some of his disciple mates. And I know for some of you, you will have heard this story before, but I'm going to bring it from a slightly different slant, a slightly different perspective. And in that, in just saying that, I just want to give a, give a shout out to small groups, to shout out to opening up the Bible with a group of people, because when you do that, you see things from different angles, because people bring a different slant to what they see from the Bible. The Bible is, is, is a very dynamic book. It's not just a one thing, but we all bring to it insight that God places in our, in our hearts. And I just want to shout out that the, the, the value of coming together and exploring the Bible. I have learned more about God and Christianity and faith and struggle in a group. And so just a shout out there about looking at things from different perspectives because there's bound to be people in your group where you go, I never thought of it that way. So fishing stories always make a great story, right? Who, who here are fisher women men? Anyone into fishing here? Don't be shy. Oh, just a few. Oh, there's a few more hands going up. Well, actually I got distracted and looked up some fishing jokes. You want to hear a couple? What kind of music should you listen to while you're fishing? Beats me, something catchy. What do you get when you cross a fishing lure with a gym sock? I don't know what. A hook, line and stinker. Oh, sorry. I didn't know where to put that in, but, you know, it's always good to have a laugh. Maybe these guys told some of these jokes. I'm sure they did. So we're opening up the Bible in John chapter 21. And... Uh, it will come up on the screen for you. Thank you. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. Now, the sons of Zebedee, uh, John, who's writing this, is actually referring to himself because he was one of the sons and his brother James was the other son. So he's talking about himself. So he's on this expedition as well. And the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. Now, it sounds like a great mate's night out. Peter wants to go fishing and his mates want to join him. 
You know, Peter, James and John had uni degrees in fishing. These guys had been to fishing school. They'd spent hours and hours on the job. Their dads were fishermen, their granddads were fishermen, their great-granddads were fishermen. Well, actually, we don't really know that. I'm probably telling you a little bit of extended truth there. But it is very likely in the culture of the day that that may well have been very true. As trades got passed on, as children learnt from their fathers and then, then took on that similar occupation. You know, back in those days, you didn't really need a career guidance officer. You know, if you wanted to catch fish, you went with these guys. And especially Peter, everybody knew he was the popular one. He was the one with the best aggregate at catching fish. So Peter, as you explore the Bible a little bit more and you meet Peter a bit more, you'll soon find that he's quite impulsive. He's quite gung-ho. He's quite a vocal um, young man. Well, you know, I'm not into fishing, but I do know the famous line, it was this big. Um, and I don't know if fishermen still use that line, but I'm sure... I'm sure it's still out there. And I can imagine as these guys, these men, maybe six or eight of them are heading out, being typical guys, typical young blokes, that line probably would have come up. And I can imagine Peter standing up on the bow of the boat, bragging brashly, as he possibly usually did, looking forward to be the one to bring home the biggest fish trophy once again. It was a mate's night out. It's highly possible it was competitive. Guys, yeah, usually competitive, not all. But these guys, if you trail through some of the stories about these 12 men, they were fairly competitive. There was the odd tussle in a few other stories that you'll find about these guys. So hedge my bet, a little bit of bicker and banter. It's night and it's calm and the temperature is just right. And the fish report said it is the perfect night for fishing. And these guys cast their line. And with hearty banter, Peter continues to brag. The others laugh and jeer as the scene is set for a big night. A mighty catch. Peter is going to bring home the winner again. The story goes on. The next word you'll find is the three-letter word, but. But. But just changes everything that happens just before. But. Nope, Peter didn't fall out of the boat. No, the boat sail didn't break. No, they didn't run out of bait. But. The story goes on. But that night, they caught nothing. But that night, they caught nothing. Not a fish. Not one. Not even a little one. Nothing. The story goes on. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Now, students, imagine you're in the classroom. Everyone's just jostling back into the class. You had an exam last week, and your mate on the other side of the room goes, Hey, how'd you go with your exam? And... You feel the pressure you have to answer, you kind of have to yell out, I got 0%. Like, or you, you know, you're at work and you've just come back into the colleagues, uh, into the, the breakfast, uh, what do you call it, lunchroom, and, and you know, there's a whole bunch of people jerry, and you walk in and someone asks you, say, hey, how did the deal go? How did it work? And you go, yeah, it didn't work. 
right across the foreshore, there's this echo. Did you catch anything? No, they answered. You see, 10 p.m. turned into 11 p.m., which rolled into midnight. The laughter and the jeering, well, it wound down somewhat. Yep, the lines were still cast. And by now you would have thought there would have been a great stockpile of fish, worthy of some good slap on the backs by now. But not one fish, not yet. And midnight turned into 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And the laughter, the jeering has now stopped. The night is now very, very still and very quiet. And the few mates, some of which have now given up, are lying awkwardly over the seat, gently snoring. But the diehards, Peter included, still jockey for catching the big catch. They'll not give up. It was expected that they'll bring home a healthy catch, especially Peter. He was the one who still... And there was still the big fish trophy to be won. 3 a.m. And ever so gently it wanes into 4 a.m. and snails onto 5 a.m. And the glow of dawn begins to turn the water into a, a lake of gold. The yawns are long, the eyes are droopy, the rods almost slip out of the hands. Full daylight is just moments away. The sun and all its glory is about to mark, make its mark on a new day. And glaringly, it reflects off the bottom of an empty boat. Peter can't believe it. He and his mates, they've been out all night on the perfect night and they don't have one fish to show for it. You know, Peter was well practiced. He'd worked hard to earn the biggest fi fish trophy award each week. His heart was fully into catching fish and he expected to succeed. There was not a shadow of a doubt as he sailed out that night from shore. And then as the going got tough, he stuck at it. He tried hard, but he didn't see it coming. Failure. To rub salt in the wound, someone asked loudly, from the shore, have you caught any fish? And as much as Peter might have wanted to shrink up and just curl and into the corner of humiliation and failure with respect to the one asking, but with defeat in his heart, he responds, no, no, I didn't, no. Not one. Complete failure. Epic fail. And Peter... If at all like us possibly sat there telling himself, oh, I'm a failure. I truly believe we can all relate. We can all say there's been a space in our lives that we connect. A task, a relationship or a circumstance. You were qualified, you were prepared, you'd put in the hard work, you'd practiced 
you expected to succeed at this. You didn't think any other way. For some of us, maybe too, we can add on, but I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I have God in my life, I read my Bible, I pray. Either way, wham, from out of the blue, from left field, from who knows where, because you didn't see it coming, bang, failure. And because we replay that over and over and over in our heads sometimes, that failure, that action failure becomes a belief about who we actually are, not just the action. So we play out the words and we adopt them into our identity and we say, I am a failure. And not only do we say it out loud, but it weighs in our hearts and we start to actually really see ourselves from that scope. I know I've certainly been in that space in my life. And even days come and go where those words bounce through my head. But as it was with Peter, it is with you and I. Peter's fishing failure and yours and my failure story doesn't end here. The story in John goes on. We'll pick it up at verse 6. He, Jesus, said, Throw your net to the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was actually John, the author of the book, termed himself that in his writing, said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he jumped into the water. It was like at that moment the penny dropped. As Peter encountered Jesus that morning, the presence of Jesus catapults Peter to the truth. Oh yes, that's right. I'm not defined by my fishing ability or in this case inability, my fishing failure. And Little jump on the side, in the big scheme of things, this little moment was very Mickey Mouse compared to what Peter had just gone through. And uh, if you backtrack just a few stories, you'll find Peter vehemently and publicly denies even knowing his best friend Jesus, uh, let alone um, being his friend. So uh, this in some ways was a, a small failure. The other disciples followed in the boat. The story goes on, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now the tone, the situation of Jesus, interaction with Peter, speaks volumes to me. You know, they don't speak judgment. They don't speak failure. To me, that invitation, come and eat, that, that is an open generosity. That is an open door of welcomeness. That is an open door of acceptance. Peter's identity was not wrapped up 
in the biggest fish trophy or lack thereof. Jesus reminded Peter with this overwhelmingly generous catch that he'd ended up with, not by any of Peter's efforts, but by the generous love and kindness of God. Jesus reminds Peter that his identity comes all from God. Maybe Peter had a little moment and goes, oh yeah, how does Jesus see me? Well, let's just check out what's in the boat. That generosity, that abundance, it just makes me think of a, a, a a part of the Bible that I just really love. It's the end of a prayer written by Paul. He wrote a lot of letters in the last part of the Bible. And, um, and if, if you want some blessing in your life, find this and the bits before it and memorize it. Put it, to, put it into, your, into your everyday thinking. But he writes here, Now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Whatever that failure is, God can do immeasurably more with it than you can ask or imagine. That dream of putting a few fish in the boat that night, God stacked that boat full. Peter failed. God made something amazing out of it. Nothing is impossible for God. This Peter, and he's a great character, someone I super relate to in the Bible, this Peter goes on to be the leader of the disciples. This guy goes on to, to testify and to speak of Jesus. And, and after his first sermon, 3,000 people say, yeah, I want to follow that God that you know, that God that you serve. Nothing is impossible for God. He can do amazing things, even with our failures. Unfortunately, failure is as sure as taxes. We live in that imperfect world. I just want to share a little, a little snippet that's just the practical stuff. What do we do when we encounter failure? Well, the first thing is we need to acknowledge we tried. They did a social experiment in, uh, uh, in New York not that long ago where uh, in front of a, a quite a well-travelled park, not Central Park, but another one, uh, a, a guy put up a big chalkboard. And the, the idea was for people to come by and write down their regrets on the chalkboard. And what, what they found fascinating is that when the chalkboard was full and all the stories had been pulled out, what stood out? What do you think? Of all the hundred answers that were there, hundreds and hundreds, there was a common thread of regret. It was not 
what people had done. It was what people had not done. You see, God made you to try. God made us to reach out into spaces and places that that we may never have considered before, but we're just going to give it a go because something inside of us says, give it a go. God wants us to go for it, to have a go. Don't hold back. Don't cower with the fear of failure, but to get out there and have a go. The most tragic thing for us, I think for God, is when he looks down and he just goes, but I made you for so much more. Go on, go out. Secondly, don't let failure paralyze you. See, Christmas morning, um, there was a family here in the church that had moved and um, they had a few bits and pieces to get rid of and one was a motorbike. And my youngest had has been, you know, I want a motorbike, I want a motorbike. What what kids don't ask for that, boys? I don't know. But anyway, <coughs> um, so you, we did a deal and, you know, sh- Christmas morning, the motorbike and a uh, few laps and it was going pretty good. Um, and then <coughs> Mark showed him second gear and uh, he, he just didn't quite get the corner right and then the wibble's up and smack into the shed door. Luckily, Mark's super handy. And uh, there were tears, no brokens, praise God, um, a wounded ego, and, um, and then a kid who's starting to walk away. And I said, Ricky, you've got to get back on, get back on. So we had a little conversation, a little moment. Read into that what you like. A little moment, and he eventually got back on and... They were, after a few laps, back to smiles and it's all good. And the story's a joke now, you know. It wasn't at the moment, of course. But we find ourselves in that space as young adults, as adults as well, you know. It doesn't work out the way that we expect. So we, we get paralysed and we don't want to step into that space again. And, you know... As I said before, God made us for so much more. And and to be paralyzed by fear traps us from being all that God has made you to be. The third thing with fear, I mean with failure I should say, is to learn from it and move forward. It It is a tough lesson sometimes. Michael Jordan did a commercial where he says, I've missed 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was the trusted one to take the winning shot and I missed it. 26 isn't bad, that was a really low. (laughs) But still, I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And he concludes by saying, and that's why I succeed. I read another story while I was researching this and um, I I don't remember much of the detail, to be honest. I'm just adding it in. But it was about a a space 
um, project in, in America, um, and um, the guy was retelling how, the lady was retelling how they went to see this um, rocket launch, and um, the person who was her friend who had invited them to come along had said how so many times it had failed. But each time as they tried to launch, they learned what went wrong, what went wrong, and they refined it, and what went wrong, and they refined it. And after the third time, they thought, we're just never going to get there. But it, it worked on the fourth time. And, of course, we know many people, inventors, and so many people who, you know, failure but learned from it, failed but learned from it, failed but learned from it. A quote I read was, not only do we learn more from failure than success, we learn more from bigger failures because we scrutinize them closely. The other thing, the next thing, is let failure make you a better person. Last year, yeah, I'm new in this role here, I'm a true rookie. And um, I've had a lot of refining. Sometimes I've felt a bit like a, a piece of marble. And um, God's doing a few chisels here and there. And it hurts. And there's been tears. But each time there's been a little bit of a chisel, I pray to God and I just say, God, you know, I believe you're helping me be a better person, be a better leader and grow me um, so we can take from our failures to go not only will I learn the information but I'll actually become a better person through this the next thing that we can do when we encounter failure and this is really actually a precursor I really like this sentiment is we need to speak about it more often and normalize it. We need to see that we all do fail. We need to let our children see that failure is okay. Um, in the reading I was doing, I was reading about resilience, and this was one of a key factor for young people to understand that it is okay to fail. And it's hard because just ask some of these young people here and they fail in front of their peers, it does feel like you've taken a pretty serious bullet. But we have to encourage the fact that it is okay to fail. And we need to teach that to our kids as the way they treat each other. To say, you know what, we affirm having a go. We affirm having a go. We are never going to put down the one who gets up and has a go. We're going to encourage and we're going to build up. But we need to speak about and normalize that, that failure happens to us all. And it is okay to get it wrong. We're not giving it a, a, you know, an accolade, but we need to say it happens. It happens. We need to create environments that it's safe. It's safe to talk about mistakes. And in a faith community, sometimes that's something we hedge away from a little bit, you know. We sometimes in faith communities, and if you're not a regular to faith community, um, then this probably won't apply to you, but sometimes us in faith community, we kind of come and we 
put on a little mask and we kind of look like, yeah, we got it all together. And um, we never make mistakes. We just have like, <laughs> but actually it's just a mask. We're just all the same. And um, um, we just need to, you know, be open and honest. Be, be even personable, which takes vulnerability. A- and that helps us, I think, to be more resilient when failure does come. We need to try hard things and discuss failures openly. I was actually, I was saying to one of our colleagues here that um, we need to scrutinise our sermon. So I, I was going to have like a little sheet to give out to you guys to go, you know, <laughs> Sharon, too long, too waffly, too, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't get it done. But we'd like to do that. Because we as a a team would like to improve, we'd like to meet your needs, we'd like to inspire you, we'd like, um, you know, or maybe I should just sit down and let you guys talk, you know, like, that's cool. But but that helps us to grow. The last thing, keep an eye on that clock. The last thing, and this has come up with our series, we need to trust God. We are, in this community, and if you're visiting today, we would love you to grow in this journey but we are a believing community in an almighty, powerful God. And that God, our God, can be trusted 100% guaranteed. I'll add a little add-on on that. So on Monday, this is just a little personal insight. <laughs> Mark was in Sydney this week. I was soul flying. Hands up to all, heads up, uh, you know, absolute accolade to any of you that are soul parents or do that job. You know, may God just, we need to come around you more. But usually by 8 o'clock at night and the kids are going to bed, or actually I was just running late. It was more like 8.30, quarter to 9. I'm like, oh my goodness, look at the kitchen. (laughs) But anyway, Jared um, got the opportunity to go to District AFL. You should all, we should start an AFL team. It is such a cool sport. Anyway, I'm just on the side. Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, but we had a meeting booked um, that afternoon and I was just like, I really wanted to be at the meeting. It was a leadership meeting about refresh and where we want to go this year and I'm I'm sort of, you know, the pastor and I thought, well, that's probably a really good meeting to be at. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, the family first things in my head, and I'm like, I really want to support my son, um, and I don't know how to resolve this. And I'm just like, God, I, I'm, sh- yeah. In the morning, I, I spent a little time with God, and I said, God, look, I don't know how to resolve this, but I want to be at the meeting, and I need to take Jared, and I don't know how to resolve it. So through the day, a few times, I'm Lord, you know, who can I look out to? Maybe I can, you know, there's a few people in this room. I think maybe I could call them up, you know. But then I was like, oh, I don't want to bother them, and. At the end of the day, I'm going to pick on Neil here. <laughs> Neil comes to me and he goes, I go, you right for the meeting this afternoon? And he goes, yeah, 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 6.30, right? And I'm like, oh no, 4 o'clock. He's like, oh, no, I got it wrong. I booked up something else. Anyway, long story short, because a number of us couldn't make it, it was a wiser decision to cancel the meeting. And Neil's going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so, nope, you're an answer to prayer. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to commit that to God. It w- I know it sounds really ridiculous, but it was a bit of a struggle, right? I'm like, I want to support my family. I want to support my church, right? I can't resolve this in my head. But at the end of the day, I was like, Sharon, 
just lay things at God's feet. Just give things to God. See, once again, he can work things out. He can work things out in ways you don't imagine. You can trust God. You can trust God with your failures. You can trust God. I'll finish with this short story. In 1885, there were five men, two women and four children who caught a boat from San Francisco to Melbourne. These guys were the first group of Seventh-day Adventist Christians and refreshes the Seventh-day Adventist Christian faith community here. These were the first Seventh-day Adventist Christians that came to Australia. They came here because they wanted to share Jesus. They were passionate about Jesus and passionate about some of the things that they had discovered in the Bible. And they wanted to come and to share. And five weeks later, they docked actually in Sydney and then went on to Melbourne. They, they ended up living in a small house in Richmond that still exists today. Eleven of them in this tiny house. One of those men was John. He was a pastor. And they were super excited about the opportunity to share Jesus. They were super, super excited. And so uh, Melbourne was that hustling, bustling city of the 18th century where the gold rush had, had sort of had its hit. Um, the, the train network was developing. It was perhaps the most industrious colony of the time. There was excitement in the air for these guys. And John, as soon as he could, he got out there, he rented a hall, he made up some posters, he had something to share, and he invited people to his meeting. The first night, the doors opened, 40 people came. But by the end of the little series, there was only bar a few left. And no one seemed that much interested, even of those few. Soon, John realized that actually hiring halls was quite expensive. So he decided he would actually get a tent maker to make a big tent. And he um, got a big tent made that would actually fit about 220 people underneath the big tent. And John and his team planned for the tent meetings, the big tent meetings. For some of us, that might sound familiar. Because once a year over here, if you live in this community, you'll see some big tents. Well, not many people came. It was very discouraging. In fact, John wrote a letter back to America. And in that letter, he wrote these words. The weather is bleak. The people are bleak. I don't think we'll start a church here. But somehow he picked up their socks and they decided that instead of inviting people to their big tent meeting, they would go out amongst the streets and hand out some little flyers that had some cool stuff that they wanted to share about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when you see those flyer people, you know, at North Lakes, I, I, I know I'm probably the only one, but... Um, John had that same experience. Not many people wanted to take the flyer. People don't change generations after generations, do we? People weren't interested in the flyers. People didn't really want to know. But those that took, they took at train stations and down the street. There was one cold day. John was out doing the last of the gigs, the last of the give-outs. He could see people just not interested, but somehow managed to get down through the last one. 
And his last one is he's walking back to Richmond, to his little home in Richmond. On a picket fence, he stabs this fly and he says to himself, perhaps someone might read this one. And goes home despondent. A gentleman by the name of William Miller, to be precise, William H.B. Miller. So there's another William Miller in the history of the Adventist church, but William Miller was walking down the road and he noticed this flyer on the picket fence, droopy with rain, and picks it up. Now William runs a debating club. Not something we hear of much these days, but where people can come, the old soapbox, and, and share their ideas on religion, on politics, and people have a good hearty debate. Now that's probably politically incorrect. Would it be? I don't know. Anyway, so William takes intrigue, and to John's surprise, there's a knock at his door with a gentleman holding the very fly that had been stubbed on the picket fence. Mr. Miller became the first Australian Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And two years later, when John and his crew went back to America, there were 200 Adventist Christians around Australia. And today, about 62,000 or more. Numbers can be a bit tricky. There are 50 schools, there are 13,000 students, there's a hospital, there's great things. The flyer on the spike may be considered that John, maybe it was the thought that John had, had failed. Maybe it was like the, I've failed, Shh, this is not working. But God had other things in mind. Today we end a four-part series when the going gets tough. In this series, we have been challenged that uh, we need to have resilience and we can have resilience through a connection with God. We've been encouraged that when life has pits in it, God can make good in spite of the pit. We have been shown that God is, God the Holy Spirit is in us. And God the Holy Spirit helps us when the going gets tough. God can make something good out of my failure and your failure. You know, failure will refine you, but it does not define you. We are not what we have done or failed to do. We are who we are in God's eyes. You know that piece of paper? Where is it? Can you find it? Neil, I don't have one. Oh, there's one here. Oh, unless that's... You know, I wrote a note on a piece of paper when I was year nine. It marked a moment of failure. Just have a look at your piece of paper. It's empty. But what failure in your life is defining you right now? What failure in your life is defining you right now? You're not writing on it. Just 
clarifying. Or what failure haunts you from the past and it still comes back and comes and goes? What failure could be paralyzing you from being all that God has called you to be? And have you been in this place for so long that actually now you're convinced your identity is such, I am a failure? Well, today we're changing that. Today is a day you're going to give your false identity over to God. Today is a day that you and I are going to release those failures, that belief. I invite you to copy me. This will be this. I don't know if it'll work, but you want to take the journey with me, just copy me now, okay? So I invite you to take this piece of paper in your hand. Give it a crumple. You know, failure crushes us sometimes. Failure will crush you. But Jesus has this message. Jesus opens it up. He says, I see the wounds. I see the humiliation of shame. I see the scars of discouragement, abandonment or defeat. I see the deep crevasses of carelessness, revenge or anger. He says, I see, I see. I'm going in half. But he says, I have surrounded you with love. I've surrounded you with compassion. I've surrounded you with encouragement and with peace and with hope. You're not destined to shatter, uh, to stay in the shadow of your failure. He says, many years ago, go for that a third. I humbled myself for you. I humbled myself for you. Give it a bit of a squeeze. He said, I really, really, really wanted to make a significant point to you. So we're going from the perforated end. I wanted to make a really, really significant point. A really significant point. That although your fail your failures may failures I should say may hurt you, they don't define you. Although your failures hurt you, they don't define you. So you rip it down, keep the fold, won't work otherwise. (laughs) Many years ago, I chose to humble myself for you, to make a really, really significant point that although your failures may hurt you, they don't define you. Then you can open it up. He says to you, I gave all for you. I gave all for you. You are mine. Your identity is found in me. 
Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just give all glory, all praise to you. God, you are sovereign, you are king, you are creator, all-powerful, almighty, but you are close. You are right beside. You are present. Your arms engulf us. God, I just uh, pray over each of us that when the thought of I am a failure comes into our heads or we hedge back not to try in fear of failure, God, that we will look to you and know that our identity is not in what we do, but in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.